This is the year of women. This year we've seen women rise up with strength and be empowered to do great things in their communities and around the world. We all have beautiful aspirations for the future, our families and for ourselves. But for many of us, we have lost the ability to dream as we've experienced the pain and struggle of life. Instead of the light we hope to be and bring to the world, we find ourselves hiding in the shadows, feeling second best. But that doesn't have to be the end of our story. Join us this year at Smash as we learn the art of embracing the damage and discover the love Jesus offers us as he heals our pain and frees us to dream again. To be fearless, bold, radiant. So I want to tell you a little bit about Smash. You just saw that video. My name's Tracy. I'm the Discipleship Director, and I get to say welcome to everyone today and tell you about a few important things we want to start the day out with. So Smash, gentlemen, you don't have to pay attention. Unless you've got a special someone that you want to make sure that they get there, and I hope that you do. But ladies, this is all about you. It's all about the power of getting away. Because we have busy lives we're taking care of people. We often just don't even have time to take care of ourselves. And this is a really fun place to get away. About a thousand women gather at Spring Hill Camps over this weekend for incredible teaching, a ton of fun. Or you can just chill out. Like you could just be out in the sunshine with the hope that we have some more of. Um, or you might want to jump into a kayak or go zip lining. Sometimes I've done that at night. It's kind of scary. It is so much fun. But I want you to know that if you're the person sitting here and you're like, wow, a thousand women, that feels a little frightening to me. I don't know anybody. What would I do there? And I want you to know that we've already anticipated that. We have a plan for that. Every cabin has a cabin host that you're going to meet as soon as you get there. And they're going to connect you with other women. So please don't let that be a reason for you not to go because it is a blast. Not only is it just pure fun to get away, but the teaching, these awesome teachers that we have that will be teaching this year are bringing about a message that she mentioned, uh, Danielle mentioned in the video, called Radiance. It's about being radiant for Jesus, about being radiant as a woman. And it is just so much fun. And the thing is, you're going to walk away meeting new friends. Every time I go, I get a new group of people that I get to be with, a new cabin of people I didn't know before. And I get to come home and stay connected and in community. And that's just another way that we make this big church feel small. And it's one of our values at Kensington is to be in community with one another. So that's Smash, the weekend of the 18th, 19th, and 20th of May. You can register online. And something else that's going on at Spring Hill in July, we see the dates are July 13th through 15th. I can sort of read them. I don't know. What kind of morning did you guys have? The dog ate my greeting notes. <laughs> Seriously. He just jumped up on the counter and took him and ran around. I was like, I don't have them memorized yet. So I just shared this with you because I want you to know, I bet some of you guys had a morning like I did where it just, just felt like the dog ate my homework, right? So one of the things that we love to do are retreats like this to get away from the normal things that happen. And for your families, we have planned Rock Your Family on July 13th to 15th, like I said. And this is about like a vacation with a purpose. It's sort of a camping environment, but there's cabins, so you could camp or you could be in cabins. And it's just getting away with your kids, all of you focused on learning how to grow yourself as a family with God in mind in the middle of it all. 
It is incredible fun. Every year I hear about it. I don't get to go because somebody has to stay home and run camp, run church here, right? So, but I just hear incredible stories of families that meet one another, get friends. Again, more community and learning about who Jesus is. So you can register online. That's Rock Your Family. The other thing that we have coming up a little bit earlier in that in June, we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, and I want to bring it to your attention again. I don't know if you have middle schoolers, which we call breakaway, or high schoolers, which we call edge, but we have an amazing mission trip plan for them. It's called Summer Serve Camp, June 17th. There's a meeting right after this service. You can go out through those double doors at 10, after the 1030 service and talk with Tyler about it. But I can say to you that I used to be able to take uh, mission trips, student trips, um, away. My kids were in middle school, so I would take them on trips. And people would say to me, especially my family who doesn't go to church and they don't really understand the concept often, well, why do you take them away? Why don't you just do work here in our community? And I want to tell you that when you take a bunch of middle schoolers or high school students away out of their what's normal to them, and you get them focusing on other people, their phones are put away, family ties are put away, and they are focused on just transforming community. They're going to go to Racine, Wisconsin this year. Something happens, and they bring that back with them here. And so it's just an awesome opportunity for our middle schoolers to go together with EDGE students, high schoolers, to Racing Wisconsin and change that community. So if you have questions about it, please go to the parent meeting after this service. Okay, now here's the really good news. We have an official opening day. All right, I want to hear it. May 13th, we are officially in our new building. It is Mother's Day. But we are going to be in our new building. And you know what's so cool about starting on Mother's Day? We always invite people on Mother's Day. So now we're going to be inviting them to our brand new space. We're going to have three services just like we have right now over at that building. And this is the time, folks, where you guys have been talking about this with your friends. And there are friends and family who will not come to Portable Church. It just doesn't feel like church. And they're saying to you, well, when there's a building. So this is the time. Start telling everybody about May 13th. We are so excited about the building. I was there last night. And just taking some pictures to get some ideas together about how we can start out our first service in the lobby and stuff like that. And just, you just can tell, you just know God is going to do something through this building in our community. Not because we have to have our own building, but because we know that this is the way that God can move in a greater way. And we are just excited for you guys to come and be a part of it with us. We hope you guys are too. That's a cheer. Come on. With 12 years we've been waiting for this. Okay, so let's talk about this service now. This is week three of Riding the Storm. And parents, I want to give you a heads up. I don't know if you noticed on the doors on the way in, but it said PG-12. And so at the end, towards the end of the service, there's going to be a red chair story. And the content is pretty serious. It's pretty intense. But you know your kids best. It could be PG-10. I don't know how your kids are. You know them. But we just wanted you to have a heads up ahead of time in case you want to step out just at the very last minute when they're during the red chair story. Okay. So let's go and stand up and tell somebody why you're excited about going to our new building. All right. Well, good morning. 
Uh, I, I know Tracy already welcomed you, but I want to do so as well. My name is Chris Zarbaugh, and I'm the lead pastor here at Kensington's Clinton Township campus. Hey, uh, I got three texts. Uh, somebody texted me and said, did you know the, the times are wrong on the slide uh, that they put up? Yeah, the times are wrong. So, so the, three, the three times are the times that, you are, that, that we have right now. We are going to be going to two services in the summer, but that's coming later. So as of right now, there's three service times, same ones, 845, 10.30, 12.15, okay? So don't worry about anything else. Now, now that the housekeeping stuff is behind us, I just want to go ahead and say that you've arrived for part number uh, two, I guess, because of last week's uh, uh, weather, of a series that we're in called uh, Riding the Storm. Now, the series was designed uh, out of the concept of, I remember one time Jack Wilson resident psychologist and our staff said, there's three seasons of life. Either you've just come out of a big storm in your life, or you're currently in a big storm, or, or you, there's a big storm right around the corner. Those are the three seasons. In other words, storms are always coming, right? And so the, so the question is, you know, what, how do we view God in the midst of the storm? Well, Two weeks ago, if you were here, Drew Daniels did a great job talking about recognizing God in the midst of the storm. And today, we're going to be talking about, is it possible for God to do miracles and show up in the midst of the storm? Can we experience peace? Can God do a work in us in the middle of this storm? Um, Now, this next song that we're about to hear was written, uh, even though that we're not going to study this passage, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about Jesus on a physical boat in the middle of a physical lake, the Sea of Galilee, and it was actually in the middle of a, of a raging storm. The waves and the winds were so bad that expert fishermen who grew up on the seas, on the waters their whole lives, uh, they thought that they were destined to drown. And Jesus comes out, out of the bowels of the ship, he was sleeping, and he puts his hands up and he says, to the waves and to the winds, peace, be still. And then everything was calm. And so it says that the Bibles, or the Bible says that the disciples were so amazed that they said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the, and the waves obey him? And so the question is, when it comes to the circumstances in our lives that we find ourselves in, is it possible to experience Jesus in the midst of the storm? And what we're going to discover today is, we believe that Jesus is always there with us, And yes, it is possible to experience peace in the midst. Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. And in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal with me bountifully. I don't want to be afraid 
job and more than that it speaks into I believe what all of us hope for ourselves Uh, it's the cry of this whole series whatever trial that we find ourselves in or circumstances that we face we have the same cry which is let faith rise up in me I pray that I would have enough courage to face whatever it is and not only uh, you know go through it but also be victorious and so is it possible to have that type of confidence and that type of resolve Uh, just knowing who God is when facing every wave and every wind of the storm. So this is what we long for, and this is what we hope is true or could be true for us, and I believe it is. So as we dive into this topic together, I would love to just take a moment 
and let's pray. And before I do, let me just say this. As we pray, whatever it is that you're going through, and I have no idea whether you're listening online at home or whether you're here in this room, whatever it is that you're going through, I'm sure that it is a myriad of different things that, you know, that causes each one of us anxiety, causes us to worry. We have incredible fear. We're angry. There are so many different things represented here. Let's ask God to meet us where we are at and to do a real work in our hearts and in our lives. Would you pray with that intent with me? Father, I thank you for this day and I ask, Lord, that you would meet us where we are. Lord, in the midst of the storm or maybe in light of the one that we've just come through or maybe even, uh, you know, just knowing what, we should know going into the next one. I pray, Father, that you would launch an anchor in our hearts of faith to help us, Father, find stability. And I pray, Father, that you would help us, each one of us, to let down our guard and to uncross our arms and to be open and willing to believe that, Father, you can make a difference and that you want to make a difference in our lives. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, uh, before we dive into the message, we're going to take a moment and receive our offering at this time. Let me just say this. If our ushers uh, are going to come down here, if you're visiting today and you are, uh, you know, you've just been coming here for a few weeks, maybe even since Easter, I just want to let you know that this offering time is only planned for and reserved for people who call Kensington their home. Please feel free to let, let it pass. You can give if you'd like. But honestly, uh, we believe that Jesus and God, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we, he talks about how giving financially is actually a very big part of our lives and our faith. But every time we pass the offering, we always say, we recognize that giving financially is always difficult at any level. So we're always careful to say thank you for trusting in God's word and what it says about giving back to what he's blessed us with. But also thank you for trusting us and our leadership and what God has called us to. So as the offering passes, I want you to know that we're going to continue our study today about the Apostle Paul. And today we find the Apostle Paul and Silas in prison. And uh, we don't know how long they're in prison. The scripture never says. Uh, But Paul was no stranger to being in jail and being in prison. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of being in juvenile or to be in jail. Um, I've, I've, I've done all the above. So um, just want to go ahead and tell you that my most recent time of being arrested was actually when I was uh, a pastor. So here's a fun little story. I told this about eight years ago, but back when I was just hired at my previous church, so this would have been quite a while ago, about 20 years ago or so, I was hired on as the college pastor slash singles pastor slash whatever, and uh, I just... Uh, I'd just taken my first trip. I took about 70 high school students and college students from Atlanta, Georgia, where I lived, down to Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. And so I was there with them, and uh, this was my first impression that I made at my church. This is great. Uh, But actually, it was raining that day, and so I came off the Terminator 2 ride, which is no longer there. I went into this gift shop, and I was stuck there for about 40 minutes. I was all by myself. I got separated in the rain, and we didn't have cell phones back then, which is hard to believe, but we actually had walkie-talkies for leaders. And so I was actually trying to get reception, but the rain was so heavy, and it was so hard that I I was stuck in there with no reception. And so uh, you know how it is. I mean, first of all, when it rained, 
trains, everybody runs to the, to the open public spaces. So this gift shop is just packed with like, you know, 100 people or so. And I had my Terminator 2 gift bag or whatever. And, and, and I was in this other gift shop. And I was looking around because I had nothing else to do. And I was like, oh, cool, uh, this Spider-Man baseball, which, by the way, I still have till today. I still have that baseball. But it was so cool, you know. It was just the, just the stitching was so cool. I thought, I'm going to buy this. And there was a coffee mug. And I was carrying it around for 45 minutes. And you know how it is. Like when you're standing there for 45 minutes with all this stuff in your hand, I had a thought. I thought, you know what? I'll just go ahead and put this in my bag for now. And then I'll remember to pay for it on the way out. You you see where I'm going? You're like, I see where he's going. All right. So I didn't mean to get arrested for shoplifting, but I did. So what ended up happening is, is I've got this stuff in my bag for like 45 minutes. The funny thing is, I actually purchased something on my credit card, forgetting that this was in here. There was like this winky blinky toy for $25 where you can type in something and, and show the, the text. And I actually purchased that on my credit card for $25. The items in my bag were like eight bucks. Like what thief decides to use their own credit card to buy something for $25 and try to steal $8 worth of stuff. But anyway, nevertheless, I buy this other thing and they give me a separate bag. I walk out and actually somebody was, uh, the rain had stopped and the walkie-talkie was, you know, making some noise. So I stepped out like this to hear. And then as soon as I stepped out, I feel one person grab me on this arm and one person grab me on this arm and they grab me really firmly. Well, if you're in student ministry, you know that this happens all the time, Right. <laughs> People try to take you down. I mean, you, you hang with high schoolers, right? I was in my 20s, and I'm thinking, as soon as I felt people grab me on my arms, my first reaction is, oh, no, you don't. I'm going to flip you. So I grabbed this guy, and I tried to flip him like this. And the next thing you know, I was on the ground on the cement with, with a knee in my neck, and I was like, oh, this hurts. And then, he, and, then he said, and then he said, we've been watching you the whole time. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then they flipped their little badges, you know. It was like Orlando police. And they were undercover. And they said, we've been watching you. And I was like, and then I was like, I go, I actually literally said, what are you talking about? And then I waited like three seconds and I go, oh. And then one of the cops goes, eh. Like this, as if I were pretending, you know. So they, they take me in the back. And I'm not kidding. I did the thumbprint. I did the picture. I got arrested. I got thrown into this little jail area for like an hour and a half. And I was trying to convince them what cop, you know, what, or excuse me, what thief, you know, spends $25 and steals $8. I'm like, come on. And then I said, I'm a pastor and I'm here with students. And at the time I was 20, I was all like unshaven with my baseball cap backwards. And the guy looks at me and he goes, you're not a pastor. And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And he's like, pastors are old. And I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor of high school students. I'm like, and he's like, well, you're going to get escorted off the property and you're going to, you're going to be asked, to, you're going to be banned from all Disney and Orlando, uh, you know, Universal for a year, which by the way, I was. And they said, if you come anywhere near our parks with facial recognition, you'll be arrested immediately. I had to pay $500 for a lawyer to sort that out because lawyers are fun. So Anyway, the whole point is, is that I got arrested. So I was there and I'm, and I'm praying that they'll, you know, let me in. So here's what I said to him. I said, you can't escort me off the property because I'm the bus driver. And you're going to be literally escorting a bus off of the premises. I got 70 kids here for a Christian concert at midnight tonight. And he's like, and so he must have believed me because he ended up letting me stay on city walk. And the other policeman said, he's never, ever let anybody stay on the property. He's always escorted them off. So he must have believed you, but he wants to do his job. So you know what city walk is? It's that public area of, of, of universal, which means like I'm not in the park, but I'm actually just outside the park. So I ate at Hard Rock Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I stayed there for like 14 hours till 
1.30 in the morning outside the gates as the park closes and I'm looking at all my students having a great time through the gate and I'm standing there for like 14 hours just thinking like, can I just get inside the park? But it never happened. And then I had to come home and tell my pastor on my first event that <clears throat> I was arrested. So <laughs> that it was my first impression at Community Bible Church in Stockbridge, Michigan. So today we're going to be talking about Paul and Silas in prison. So let me ask you this question. As you're in the midst of uh, like, you know, why is this happening kind of a thing? You pray for a miracle. And I'm sure when the circumstances are not lighthearted like that, but when they're serious, right? And you find yourself in real trouble, we all pray for miracles. Like, hey, I want to be delivered from this. Now for you, it may be circumstantially. You may find yourself in a circumstance where you're like, if God doesn't show up, I'm toast. And if I look at the probability and I calculate the odds, it's, it's, almost never going to happen. So I'm, I'm praying that God would deliver me circumstantially. For a lot of you, it's physically, maybe there's a diagnosis or maybe it's a relationally, or maybe it's, maybe there's a, there's a pain involved, whether it's you or someone else, and you're experiencing a pain. And this pain is, is, is the only way for it to go away is for God to come in and just supernaturally just take it away. And you pray for that right? We all do that. And then some of us, we pray, uh, maybe the miracle that you want isn't externally or with someone else. Maybe it's internally about the way you feel because you don't want to believe the way you believe, or you don't want to be addicted to your cravings the way that you're addicted to your cravings. Or maybe you don't want to feel, you know, you're, 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 you're a slave to some sort of a, uh, uh, emotion that you're wrestling with. And you would like nothing more than God to come in and to magically wipe all of that away. And the problem is, Sometimes God does it, but sometimes he doesn't, right? That's the problem. The problem is sometimes God will come in and he'll deliver us in miraculous ways. And we say, man, to God be the glory, that's awesome. And he does it over and over and over again. That defies odds and it's unbelievable. But there are times in our lives when he doesn't do it, right? Are you with me on this? Like he doesn't do it. He doesn't show up. And it, and it leads us to ask the question, it's the one question that we'll never know the answer to this side of eternity, right? Because we're praying for good things. We're not praying for bad things. We're just praying for good things. We're like, God, why would you not do this, right? Throw me a bone. I've been faithful. Why would you not answer these prayers? And so it leads us to ask the question, and it's a one-word question. It's the biggest question in the universe that everybody wants to know the answer to. Do you know what the word is? It's why. And, 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 even, and even though sometimes God does reveal the why, a lot of the times he doesn't either, right? And so we ask ourselves, why God? And a lot of us, here's, and, and it's so funny because why is it a funny thing? Because a lot of us would say, I'll even be okay going through the trial if I just understood the why. So God, just give me the reason why, and you don't even necessarily have to change my circumstances, but as long as I knew the why, then I'd be okay. Just tell me the why. And we get so desperate to find the why that sometimes we'll even imagine and attach the why and we'll come up with our own whys if God doesn't answer it. I had a conversation a long time ago, several years ago, when my wife worked on the oncology floor uh, of Beaumont Hospital of a, of a man who we knew who went in and his wife had passed from cancer. And, and he said, uh, when I was in there, I had a conversation with this nurse and actually I, I, I led this nurse to Christ. I actually led her in, 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 in a faith prayer and she trusted Christ. And he goes, so now I know my, why my wife passed. Because my wife passed so that this, this nurse... Could, uh, could, you know, trust Christ and, and, and be a Christian. To which I'm saying like, whoa, that's pretty inconsistent to everything that I read in the Bible and what I know about God. Like, I understand your desire to, to answer the why, but I, I told him, I was like, I'm pretty sure that your wife passed away because 
cancer sucks and it's really bad and there's brokenness in the world and that's really tragic. But just like God promises to do and does all the time, God redeems really bad circumstances and does something great out of them. And so I'm pretty sure that this was a very tragic instance where something bad, you know, God used it and brought something good out of it because the scripture says that that's what God does. He brings beauty from ashes. And so here's the thing. If you're wondering... How could a pastor, first of all, say that about God? I would just say this. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that this world is broken. And the Bible says because sin separates us from God and because all of us are imperfect, the Bible says in Romans that we are under the bondage of sin and decay. And that there is brokenness in this world. There's death. There's disease. People make bad choices. There's evil in the world. And we deal with it. And it is a broken world. And the funny thing is, God never promises to deliver us from those things, ever. In fact, a lot of times, Jesus will say, if you follow me, sometimes you'll be going through trials because of your faith. And it may cost you your job, depending on your morals, right? There's so many things that God never promises to deliver us from. But the one thing that he always does is he promises to be with us. He promises to give us supernatural, you know, just like the song said, so that I may face my storms and my faith may rise up, that I may not be a victim, but be victorious and to overcome and to learn and to grow and to see God through, do, do other things through it. And God promises to do all of those things. And so we go through life facing this broken, messed up world. And we somehow uh, are able to, through God's power, have peace when it doesn't make sense and faith and and we 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 could cast our anxieties and our cares on God and and and, and sometimes God does deliver and sometimes he doesn't but the reality is is that if you get caught in the why it's a very difficult place to be and so I believe that we're going to dive into this and we'll be able to find a lot of this in this next story in this context uh, the apostle Paul was with his friend Silas they'd gone into a town called Philippi which, by the way, that's the book of Philippians. Uh, it's a letter written to the town of Philippi. It's the church in Philippians that Paul is about to plant. So he's there in Philippi. He's about to start a church. He's telling people about Jesus. And he had just healed somebody uh, and cast demons out of them, actually. And because of that, uh, there was a big uh, uh, disturbance in the marketplace. And Paul and Silas were wrongfully accused, all because they delivered a servant girl from a demon. Look what Acts chapter 16 says in verse number 22. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods, which by the way, that's, that doesn't sound good. And it says they were severely beaten. Now when the scripture says severely beaten, uh, I'm going to take the Bible at its word. I mean, it's hard to wrap, wrap our brains around the torturous, evil, just, just, just the depravity of mankind, of how the Romans were experts at torture and, and, and everything else. But please understand that if the Bible says that Paul was severely beaten, I imagine he was within an inch of his life. And it says, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer uh, was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put him in the inner dungeon and clamp their feet in the stocks. Now the inner dungeon was reserved for only the worst of criminals and the stocks were meant to be torturous themselves. At least it's believed to be so. Uh, here's a picture of, uh, some people believe this could be uh, the outer uh, cell of the Philippian jail. And actually there's rooms that go further and further in uh, that, and it's all carved out of cave. And so if you go <clears throat> and you vi visit the town of Philippi, 
They would say, this could have been one of the prison cells. Who knows, maybe even the one that Paul and Silas were in. Here's another picture uh, of some metal stocks that were found in the gladiators' barracks at Pompeii right around the 1700s, I think 1766. And both, both devices are kind of devised the same way, only one's round and one's uh, straight. But basically, you put ankles inside these really thin clamps, and then you put a, a metal rod across uh, you know, the whole thing. And so the prisoners would either have to sleep, like sitting up or laying down, and it was almost impossible to move to relieve cramps. And if you could actually, depending on how wide you made it, you could actually put the feet wide, but because they were so straight, it would actually bend the ankles in such a way to where it was torturous, the wider that you put the feet down. And so these stocks were actually, you know, almost like an, an additional punishment. Now, uh, I just want to say this. Here's the first point. There's three statements for today. Here's the first one. I believe it's easy to believe at times that God isn't for us, especially without, without knowing the why. Now, let me, let me just say it this way. Paul and Silas are about to experience something really miraculous. But wouldn't it have been nice if God would have done something miraculous before the severe beating? Wouldn't it have been nice if God would have showed up before? I mean, the Bible doesn't say how long they were in jail. It could have been months. It could have been days. It doesn't say. But wouldn't it have been nice for God to just deliver? Uh, let's think. Paul, the St. Paul was a servant of Christ. They're doing the work of God, leading people to Christ. This is a good man doing great things uh, as ordered and led by God himself. And yet for some reason, God doesn't show up and God never explained the why. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, here's a guy that's doing the right things and he gets severely beaten and he's, he's being tortured and, and who knows how long. And here he sits in the inner prison and God never reveals the why. So here's what it says. Here's his reaction. Verse number 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were, get this, praying and singing hymns to God. And then it says, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, first of all, uh, singing hymns to God. I'm pretty sure I'd be making noise, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be hymns. I'm pretty sure there'd be some screaming involved and probably some colorful metaphors. But in the the end, Paul and Silas are singing praises. And then the scripture goes out of its way to say the other prisoners were listening. Notice how it didn't say the other prisoners heard them. They were within earshot that, that they were able to hear them. It says, no, it says more than that, doesn't it? It says they were listening. And isn't it true that even in this one verse, we find that, that when, when, when you find someone in the midst of incredible suffering, and somehow their faith is so strong, you tell me, isn't that one of the most inspiring things that you've ever seen in your life? I mean, here are people, they just have faith, they're singing, they're singing. I mean, can you imagine, do you know what it's like to be beaten within an inch of your life? I don't, but I imagine there are things broken I imagine there are things bloody. I imagine there's constant pain. And and yet, they're singing praises and hymns to the God who's allowed this to happen. So how in the world can you have peace in the midst of the storm? And it says the other prisoners were listening. So there was something happening inside of them. They were like, they were doing the same thing that you and I do today. Isn't it interesting how many things change over 2,000 years, and yet how many things still stay the same? Because we see people in the midst of trials and their faith resolve is so confident. We get inspired and we say, man, there's something about that that'll make me just want to gravitate toward it. And so let me ask you this question. And that is, what would you do in the midst of a storm? Would you sing? Would you scream? 
where would your faith be? Here's the second statement. When we don't know the why, we need to lean into the who. See, there are often times when God does reveal the why, but when the, there are times when God doesn't. And when we don't understand the why, the one thing that you and I should do is understand that we need to lean into who God is. Because if God doesn't explain himself, what we, what we are forced to do is we're forced to just say, I still trust him. Because again, God doesn't promise to deliver us from this broken world. And yet, what other God are we going to run to? To, to, whom, to whom shall we run? If we believe that God is the creator of the universe and we believe that he is good and that we believe that he is for us, it's hard to believe that he's for us when we don't know the why. But when we don't know the why, understand that there are parts of the scripture where God does reveal himself, that the promises are true, that God is the same yesterday, today, forever, that he is faithful. In fact, I've written down just a few. I'm gonna read through them very fast. I don't expect you to write these down, but you can look at them later on video. Romans 8, God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Matthew 10, do not worry. His eye is on the sparrow, so we know he watches us and will provide. 1 Corinthians 10, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be overcome with temptations. Proverbs 3, he will direct our paths. Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who love God. Matthew 28, Jesus will always be with us. Isaiah 41, do not fear for I am with you. I will strengthen you and I will uphold you with my right hand. Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, God is faithful and so we look to the who God is and decides that God, I I won't understand. And maybe this side of eternity, I'll never understand. But the one thing I understand is you. And I understand that you are good and that you are faithful and that this world is broken and I will trust you in all circumstances. And it's hard to do, but God shows himself in this moment. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse number 26. It says, suddenly, and I love when the scripture says that, there was a massive earthquake And the prison was shaken to its foundations. Who knows? Maybe that was the Philippian jail. Uh, Maybe that's why it was broken down. And it says, it was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open. And then it says, the chains of every prisoner fell off. Not just Paul and Silas, every prisoner. So the jailer woke up to see the doors wide open and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, uh, the, the, the Roman soldiers or the jailer, they actually received the same fate of their prisoners if the prisoners escaped. And that was to prevent, you know, wealthy prisoners paying the jailers off. It was also to prevent, um, you know, manipulation or, you know, like corruption among the jailers. And so uh, we, we know this about the Roman culture. And so, you know, the, the term falling on your sword, that was literal. And it came from the Romans that they would actually put, they would plant the end of their sword in the ground and they would put the point up and they would literally fall right on it. And this is exactly what the jailer was about to do because he knew he was a dead man walking. And so what's interesting is, is that even though that that was about to be, to happen, um, I have to believe that Paul remembered the words of Jesus, that Jesus had spoken something that was very appropriate at this moment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How in the world could you ever love a Roman jailer who was in charge of the cruelty and the severe beating and torture that you were on the receiving end of? How in the world can you pray for those or even love those or forgive those, your captor and your torturer? 
Look what it says in chapter 16, verse number 28. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Exclamation mark. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. In other words, nobody's run. Not just Paul and Silas. Nobody is valuing their freedom over your salvation. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon, which means it must have been black. He must have called for a torch. The inner dungeon must have had no windows. And he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then they brought them out of the prison. And he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And by the way, that word saved means to be rescued by God. If you think that's a churchy word, it kind of is. But it literally means, what does it mean for me to trust Christ, to believe in Christ, to be rescued from this broken world of sin and depravity and my own existence and everything else? God, what, he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? You know what's amazing? Is that in the midst of all of this, it's funny, but um, God is still in the midst of doing miraculous things. And so let me just finish the story in verse number 31. It says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. The jailer washed the wounds of the prisoners. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized and he brought them into his house and he set a meal before them, which by the way is an incredible honor. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. And so here's the third statement. Sometimes the miracle God wants to do isn't the miracle that we expect. You see, the salvation of the jailer was more important to Paul than his own freedom and his very life. And isn't it amazing how God did a miracle in the, in the other prisoners to such a degree to where they were willing to actually not run and actually take advantage of their freedom. Some of them, I imagine, were, were facing death because, again, the inner prison was reserved for the worst of the worst. And yet all of them had such a dramatic change that they all stayed around and they actually showed love and forgiveness to to, to where not only did this jailer trust and believe in Jesus, but also his entire family. He cleaned their wounds and brought them in and brought them to dinner and honored them. What an amazing thing. And it's a miracle, but it's not the miracle that I was probably going to pray. I would have been praying for. I would have been praying for deliver me from this beating. And yet, for some reason, God still did a miracle in the midst. Can I just ask you this question? If you've been coming back from, you know, maybe since Easter, and maybe you've been, you know, trying to figure out where's God in the midst, and, you know, why isn't God going to show up? I hear people say that all the time. Why would God allow this to happen to this person? She's the sweetest person on the planet. She doesn't deserve this. You know, why doesn't God do this? Everything we pray for, they're all good things. But please understand, the Bible tells us, In this world of brokenness, God is still in the business of doing miracles, but it just might be that God wants to do a miracle in a way that maybe you're not even looking for or don't expect. Could it be that God is not wanting or maybe he's not going to release you from the physical chains that you find yourself in, but yet he wants to release your spiritual chains? He wants you to release all the things that you wrestle with internally. And that maybe through the midst of this storm that you'll discover a miraculous thing that's much much more valuable than your physical freedom. 
Could it be that God wants to do something inside of you? Because God is still in the business of doing miracles. And I got to tell you this. It's almost like that saying where it says, you know, give a kid a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a kid, you know, how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Do you understand that not only for this trial, but every single trial, every single storm, every single hardship, everything you will face to the day you die, if you trust Christ and put your faith in God, it'll carry you through every storm for the rest of your life. And not only that, but that's just the beginning. Jesus says when we trust in him, we have a relationship with his heavenly father, that he wants to bless us, that he's going to give us an abundant life of purpose and meaning, and that we will spend eternity with him. And everything comes from the fact that we just recognize that God loved us, that he died on a cross, that he, that he wants us to believe and trust and look to him with our faith. And then if we are just willing to do that, what we can discover is that God wants to do a miracle inside of us. Um, Sometimes the miracle that God wants to do isn't the miracle that we expect. I got to tell you real quick about a story that reminds me of that. I was in Nashville one time uh, at a youth specialties conference a long time ago as a student pastor. And I was actually um, at the end of a concert really late at night. We drove down to the end of the strip at Nashville. We were going to get something to eat, but everything was crowded. There was no parking spaces. So across the street from this restaurant, there was a sign that says, you know, uh, violators will be towed. And I I was with two buddies of mine. One was from Denver. One was from uh, Florida. They were both pastors. They were my buddies from college. And they said, park here. And I said, I'm not going to park there. There's a sign that says you'll be towed. And they said, no, that's just for business hours. They're not going to call. They're gone. They're at home. Just park here. And I thought, yeah, why not do something illegal as three pastors? Why not? So I went ahead and parked there anyway. I went inside. I had dinner. Two hours later or so, I came back out. And it was about midnight. And then as I'm walking out of the restaurant, my, my, my car is being towed. And it's actually like, it just got up and I started shouting, hey, and he looks over and he jumps in his truck and starts to pull onto the freeway, which is right there. And I'm like, hey, this is my car. Now, granted, uh, this is another story where these didn't exist. Hard to believe, right? But like, I didn't, I was in the middle of Nashville. It was midnight. I didn't know where I was going. I just, you know, he's told me. So I ran as fast as I could to catch up with this, with this truck. And so he had to slow down and take a right turn to get on the freeway. And as he was doing that, I ran as fast as I could. And he has one of those big, long side mirrors that are like, you know, those extended ones. I ran, I jumped, and I caught his mirrors. And he, and he looked over, and he's like, hey! And he pulled his knife out, and I'm like, hey, hey! I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, he's like I gotta take this in. I'm like, this is my car. And he's like, it's, it, you just have to go down five exits. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't know where I'm at. It's the middle of Nashville, right? I'm like, just, just, just please give me my car. And he says, I have to call it in. I called it in, I have to take it in. He's like, it's gonna be $60. I'm like, well, I'll pay you now. I had $60 right here, and I never have $60. Here it is, here's $60. And he's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm like, listen, I'm like, I don't have any way of getting to this place that you're talking about. So what if I ride in the cab with you? (laughs) You just take me there and then I'll get out, I'll pay my fee and then I'll just drive my own car back. And he's like, you want to ride in the cab with me? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, that's the first. He's like, uh, yes. So I'm like, okay, so I got in. Well, now I was completely fine. I was like, whew, because I knew I was, you know, going to be okay. And so I started to relax, and we pulled on the freeway, and I was like, so, hey, man, what's your name? And he's like, what? And so we're just driving, and about three exits down the road, he pulls over on the freeway, on on the shoulder. And he goes, I can't do this. I'm like, why? And he goes, you're too nice. (laughs) 
I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, everybody cusses at me. My job is people pull guns at me. They, they want to punch me. They want to beat me up. He goes, you're in my passenger seat asking me about my childhood. He's like, what is going on? And I didn't want to tell him I was a pastor because people freak out and they act different. So I just said, well, you know the reason why I'm, I'm nice, right? And he said, what? I go, because I'm a Christian. And he's like, you know, I had questions about that. I'm like, really? So we started talking about it. And all of a sudden we started, you know, I, I gave him the whole plan of salvation. I just said, you realize that you can trust Christ. And he's like, no, not somebody like me. I'm like, yeah, somebody like you. And let me tell you something. Jesus died for your sins. And, and all you got to do is put your faith and trust in him. And he's like, well, how can I do that? I'm like, you could do it right now. It's like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? And I'm like, we could pray right now. So we did. And all this took place in like 15 or 20 minutes. And so I prayed with this guy. And so he lets my car down. He's like, we're standing back there. I'm like, can I give you anything for it? He's like, man, you've given me everything. Well, I give him a hug. I'm like, fine, a church. He's like, great. And so I turned around and I drove back. And my two youth pastor friends were still in the midst of walking back to the hotel. They were about halfway up the strip. And I pulled up to them. And as, they, as I saw them, you know, the last time I saw them, I was running desperately for my car. So they laughed and I pulled up and they started laughing. They're like, dude, they're like, how much did it cost you? I'm like, nothing. They're like, oh, come on. How much did it cost you? I said, nothing for free. They're like, how'd you manage that? I said, well, I led them to Christ. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, you should try it sometime. So... <clears throat> And so it, what's amazing is, is that like, you know, in, in the midst of, in the midst of this total inconvenience, you know, God did something miraculous in the middle of, you know, something that I wasn't expecting. And so you could ask yourself, well, maybe, maybe I parked in that space because God wanted to reach that tow truck driver. Well, you can do that if you want, or you can just say, I was a dummy and I just did something really dumb. And once again, God took something really bad and brought something really great out of it. But whatever theological position you take, I don't really mind in this case because it's just a great story. So I'm okay with not knowing uh, regardless, okay? When it comes down to it, sometimes the miracle God wants to do isn't the miracle that we expect. So I want you to pay attention to this next story. This is the story that we rated PG-12, and if you have somebody that's less than 12, this would be your time, your time to slip out. But this, this story is by a young lady in our midst, and, and a part of her Kensington family. Her name's Alex Miller, and she tells her story, and it's, it's, I gotta, I gotta warn you, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, but the bottom line is this, is that we felt like this was an important story because regardless of how rough it is, it is reality. And if I were to go around with a microphone, I guarantee you that there, there are some stories represented in this room that feel just as rough as the story that you're about to hear. But as she tells her story, I want, you to, I want you to listen for whether or not God can redeem something so bad and do something good, even in the midst of this storm. So watch this. I grew up in a family that on the outside looked like every other family. We lived in suburbia. My mother volunteered in the school system. My father had a job. Um, I had an older brother who was about 10 years older than me, and I thought he was the king of everything. Um, on the inside, things were very different. It was a very abusive home. Um, from a young age, I remember there being a lot of turmoil just inside and not really ever having an attachment or a bond to the parents that I was growing up with. 
When I was about eight years old, my brother went off to college, and I was left alone in this home to seemingly defend for myself. And it was at that point that my parents started grooming me, actually, to go into the sex industry. When I was nine, I had my first birthday party, or what I thought was going to be my first birthday party. It ended up being a recruiting station. Um, my parents brought in a whole bunch of different men, and it was the very first time that I was sold into the sex industry. And one by one, these men came into my bedroom, and instead of wishing me a happy birthday, they ended up raping me. I remember being young and having men come into a room with you and expecting something that you naturally didn't want to give them. And I loved to read when I was a child, loved it, I still do. But my brain allowed me to do something where I actually just imagined myself as a storybook character instead of a real person. At that time in my life, that was survival. And from a young age, from 9, 10, 11, I knew that if I was able to separate what was being done to me and put it in a category and call it a storybook and a horrific story at that, but then I could keep and protect my own soul and my own psyche over here and say, well, that's not really me. That's a different person. And we don't have to acknowledge her. We can just keep her in a box and I will live my other life over here. For the next 11 years, I lived in this crazy dual world of keeping up good appearances on one side, getting good grades in school, even getting straight A's, being involved in extracurricular activities, um, student council, sports, whatever I could do to help my family keep up the facade that we were this good suburban home. You start something like that at such a young age and it changes the way that you see the world. It changes your heart and your worldview and you feel incredibly alone and yet, at the same time, I remember from such a young age, going into my closet, attempting to hide there because that's what you do when you're a kid. You think that a sheet over your head or a door closed in a closet is gonna protect you from the evil that's around you. But I remember sitting in this closet and physically feeling somebody hug me and having arms around me. And that's all that my soul was aching for at that time. And I knew, I, I knew it was God, I knew that there was somebody there who was protecting me and that every scenario I was in, every man that I had to go with or every abusive night, it could have gotten worse and it didn't. There was always something that stopped it from getting to the very end of where I thought hell probably was. And it wasn't until I was around 12 or 13, um, by a miracle, my friends ended up taking me to this camp in North Carolina. I don't know why I was allowed to go to something like this, but I was. And I heard the counselor explaining to another one of my campmates what it meant to know Christ and showing the gospel to her. And it was that evening that I was sitting up on this bunk just listening over that I heard the gospel for the first time. And it was like Jesus Christ himself just walked into the room and held out his hand to shake my hand and say, oh, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm the one who's been holding you all those years in that closet. I'm the one who's been protecting you. Now you get to know my name. I was in the sex industry for 11 years. I managed to really get out of it around um, 18 for the first time. Really didn't stick out of it until 20 because they're your family. And even if you don't feel an attachment to them and 
even if you don't really understand why they're hurting you and you don't agree with it, there's still that burden of loyalty to a family. Um, But at the age of 20, I managed to break away for the very first time in a real way and actually make a choice of my own that I was no longer going to settle for what was being done to me, but I was going to take my life into my own hands. I picked up everything that I owned and moved out to Seattle where I live now and started a process of recovery and many, many hours of counseling. But the most beautiful part about it was how God takes your community and he replaces it with another one. And I found myself with replacement parents and replacement siblings and a church to plug into that loved on me and didn't look at me like I was an alien. Forgiveness is a funny thing. I think if I'm completely honest, I forgave my family. I forgave all the men and other people who hurt me. I forgave law enforcement for not intervening or teachers or whoever. Not for any grandiose spiritual reason, honestly, but for myself to be able to move forward. Um, When somebody steals 11 years of your formative years away from you, the last thing that you want to do is give them any second longer. The organization I work for now is called Not Abandon. And there's a reason I love that name. When I was growing up and I was in the middle of this really abusive environment, the thing I felt the most was that I was abandoned. And nobody was there to come alongside me and to help me figure out what the heck was going on. So my job that I have now, we we go into these environments where girls are so destitute and, and so desperate for real love. And my first refrain is for them to know that they are not abandoned. No matter what, I get what that feels like. I I feel that pain of seeing no options in front of you or the only options that are in front of you being horrific. It doesn't matter what continent you're on, what city you grew up in, what your social economic status is, what race you are. I think there's a common thread in women who have backgrounds in abuse or trauma or women in the sex industry that we all understand. And that's the rejection and the pain of being alone. And to be able to say now, because of the community that I now have through Christ, and to be able to say to the women that I'm in front of in these these brothels, you don't have to figure it out alone. We're gonna figure it out together. It's probably one of the biggest blessings that I've had. God's grace is a very strong theme in my life. There's so many moments that I look back on and I know if they had gone just 30 seconds longer that I wouldn't be around here telling this story. For me, going back and figuring out who my identity truly was in helped that. No longer considering myself necessarily a child of of parents who were abusive, but knowing that I'm a child of God and that's first and foremost my identity allowed me to see myself in a different light. I don't feel like a victim. I don't even really feel like a survivor. I feel like somebody who's fought and who's had people fight alongside her and who has won. I want to be able to take the experiences that I had and turn that around and have a productive anger and get mad at the injustice in the world and do something about it. Taking it and changing it into an opportunity, there's nothing like it. That's a powerful story, isn't it?
And it's unbelievable. And what an incredibly sad and yet unbelievably inspiring story all wrapped up in one. And I pray that your story is not hers. But I know that there are people in here that are struggling with things that feel just as big as that. And in some cases, uh, your pain is unbearable. And I have to say that I believe, honest to goodness, I believe that even though that I have zero knowledge of whether or not your circumstances that you find yourself in might change or you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're dealing with or facing, I, I, I can't speak into that. But I do know this for sure, that God wants to and is able to do miracles inside our hearts. I believe that there's probably two categories, major categories of people in here. Probably the person in here who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't, you know, you're not a Christian, you're on the outside looking in a little bit. You, you know, you believe in God, but maybe the Jesus thing throws you off and you're, you're still wondering and, and you're thinking, you know, can this be true? And then the other category is there, there are people in here, you know God. You know, you already know God and yet at the same time, there's, two, there's struggles on both sides of the equation. Because on this side of the equation, even though we know God, there are so many times in our lives we lose hope. We forget. In fact, we, we, we're not close to God. It's been, for a lot of you, you're probably saying, man, it's been a long time since I've had that type of faith. It's been a long time since I've looked to God in that way, and that's what I need. And I just have a feeling that there are, there are, there are things to surrender today. In this category, maybe you need to just surrender your skepticism, surrender your doubt, you know, surrender your questions, and just maybe it's finally time to say, like the Philippian jailer or like the tow truck driver, and maybe the person in this room to say, you know what, today's my day, now's my moment, and you just pray and just trust God for the very first time. And for a lot of us in here, you want to trust God for the first time in a long time. And for a lot of us in here, you're like, I, I'm guilty of not responding in faith. In fact, all my reactions, it's almost as if I had no faith or didn't even know God because I'm just not acting or responding or believing or behaving the way that I should. So I'd like to do this. I'd like to just pray for us that God would do a miracle inside, not to release us necessarily from physical chains, but from the spiritual chains that bind us. Would you pray with me? Just ha- just bow your head, close your eyes. To the person here who doesn't know God, I just pray that today would be your day. I pray that you would realize that Jesus died for your sins and that you can't earn your way to heaven and that the reason why Jesus came down and he died on a cross to pay for your sins is solely because you are loved and you are valued and you are accepted as you are. And with childlike faith, you can put your faith and trust in him even now, even during this next song. So we're praying, Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that those in here may simply decide to believe in you, to trust in you, to surrender that which is holding them back and just say, Jesus, as best as I know how, I'm asking you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. And Father, for those people in here who already know you, but Father, they need to release something. They need to surrender something, their anger or their doubt or their desire to seek attention outside of their marriage, or their addiction, or their habit, or their their unbelief, or maybe their selfishness, or their pursuit of money, or maybe a compromise of morals, or whatever it is, Lord, that we wrestle with on a daily basis, Father, I pray against all of it. I pray that you would release the shackles that hold us down and tie us up and, and keep us prisoner, and Father, that we would 
surrender those things to you today. That, Lord, that you would do a miracle in the hearts and in the lives of every person in here. That we might be free. That we might be free from all of that stuff. That we may not be held back. Lord, help us to pursue you, to believe in you, to trust in you. I pray that every person might experience a supernatural encounter with you and that you might speak to us and meet us where we are. Lord, help us to look to you and experience that thing internally that will get us through. And I pray, Father, that you would do nothing less than a miracle right now today. And Father, when these things take place, we will make sure that you get the credit, the honor, and the glory. Because God, you are the God who moves mountains. The mountains tremble at you. The darkness flees from you. You are the God to whom we can trust and turn to. We believe that you are able and you want to do these things in our lives. We ask and pray all of these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. This song is important. It's a time for us to receive and process and live in that which just happened. Let me just say this. If you run for your cars, then I I don't understand how somebody can come for 70 minutes and not stay for 73. It's it's an important time. And as 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 we respond and we reflect, I just hope and pray that God would do a solidifying and a resolve in our hearts. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble.
told you is worth staying. Hey, I just want to I just want to encourage you seriously just to carry that anthem with you. I know that this is perhaps even a heavy day for some uh, people in here. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you about anything uh, if you come forward as opposed to going back. Bring somebody with you. Uh, all this new adventure of a new building and new services. I pray that you're on board, that you show up and bring somebody with you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless you.